Welcome to Cinema Snarks. I'm Larry. And I'm Ren. And we are going to tell you how we really feel. And welcome to our premiere of this new film podcast. Uh, Ren and I here, just two friends looking to talk about a medium we both love, Mm -hmm. film. Though we have some strong opinions. We do. And that's why we thought people might like to hear them. Uh, I will say right right from the very beginning, you get a little bit of a variation between Larry and I, you know, obviously we are two differently gendered individuals, but also our backgrounds are very different. I am an old school film lover. I am also a deep, deep theater geek to my core. Uh, whereas Larry is uh, more of the modern film world uh, and has a really strong grasp of everything cinematic. Um, I like to think we both have a good handle on it, but our uh, our preferences and opinions tend to vary along those lines of our personal backgrounds. Yeah, we both we both dabble and have a, a decent enough knowledge of the other side, but uh, we definitely have expertise in other areas, if you will. And that kind of led us to our premiere being about In the Heights, because we've been going back and forth about this podcast, about getting it going, and we've had several ideas on what we wanted our first episode to be, mm-hmm. but... Ren, with her love and passion when it comes to the stage and stage musicals, particularly, and the Latin X factor of In the Heights and what it represents, and me being part of that community, it felt like a good kickoff point to start our podcast off speaking about In the Heights. And furthermore, discussing the movie musical adaptations of the modern era. <laughs> I'll explain like how how we've separated out some films uh, from the others, but I think we should just launch right into Into the Heights in the in the Heights. In. I, I got excited because we were we we're going to talk about Into the Woods and they're very different. Very different. <laughs> Musically, <laughs> aesthetically, story-wise, opinion-wise. Yeah. Uh, so what we should start with In the Heights, um, yeah. which we already discovered we have a little bit of a diverging opinion <laughs> on. So you'll find that a lot. Um, we're going we're gonna to have a lot of diverging opinions on films as we move through this podcast particularly yep. again on particularly modern films i feel like we really diverge on those um classic cinema sometimes it's hard to really get away i don't know because it has this weird veil over them sometimes yeah. unless we start talking about 2001 a space odyssey then we have very different opinions <laughs> but the most boring film i've ever seen in my entire life but, <laughs> but we're not here to talk about boring <laughs> space movies right now we're here to talk about musicals yes maybe that'll be another episode where we go through the classic films that we either hate or do not hate um but yes classic movie musicals let's start there yeah so in the heights is directed by john m chu and it is an adaptation from the lin-manuel miranda stage musical by the same name the musical that kind of put lin-manuel miranda on the map kind of gave him the clout the resources to go on to make a bigger musical a few years down the line known as 
Hamilton. You might have heard of it. And <laughs> this film adaptation also had the creative input of Lin-Manuel Miranda, who also helped to work on reworking the music to fit the new medium. But it follows a young bodega owner as he has dreams and aspirations to reopen his father's bar back in the Dominican Republic, where his family is from, when his community is shaken up when a lottery ticket is sold that ends up winning from their little bodega. So, Ren, why don't you start us off on your thoughts on In the Heights? Uh, I thought it was okay. <laughs> I think that's uh, the, the big kind of diverging thing between us is that I think Larry really, really loved it, and I thought it was only okay. Uh, now, there were definitely aspects of it that I thought were outstanding, were super good, and I really thoroughly enjoyed. Um, but I think at my core, my issues with In the Heights had to do with the fact that I, uh, you know, I was actually talking to a friend about this, but uh, from a theater standpoint, story should be at the center of any good piece of theater um at, at any of any show um and i don't feel like the story is there for this particular movie i just um you know it's theoretically a story but it's just it's not something that i could really attach myself to or really be invested in um the stakes never felt very high for me uh so that was just um kind of my my feeling on it uh i didn't I thought they're they I understand their dreams are little dreams um but they seemed like really little like really like inconsequentially little and it was like like I mean so the one girl so let's talk about like the plot line I mean mm -hmm. I think I think it's a fairly decent like dream to be like I want to go back to the Dominican Dominican Republic want to reopen this store like that that's a lot like opening up a, a mm -hmm. business in a foreign country going back to your your the land of your birth um that's kind of a big deal. Um, whereas uh, the love interest of our main character, <laughs> Vanessa, Vanessa is like her dream is to live further away in the city, which to me is like, OK, she's going to move like a few blocks away. And, uh, and I don't know, like, I just feel like the problem of it, which was like, oh, you need a co-signer. Your credit score is not good enough is like. It just didn't feel like that real of a, like, it seems like she had enough income to live there. If that was the issue and it was like a credit score issue. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, this is the thing. I, like, I'm a person who's had a, a pretty bad credit score for a good portion of my life. Like, that's never stood in my way of like getting my dreams and making them happen. So just like didn't feel like the stakes were very high on that. Um, and then you have uh, Nina, uh, I believe she's the one that uh, is, she got into Stanford. She got into Stanford already. She's already surmounted she for a year. the incredibly difficult aspect of this problem, which is getting into a crazy Ivy League school that's all the way on the other side of the country. And like, um, it seems like her conflict has more to do with her just not feeling comfortable at Stanford and, and not having a community to back her, which is an understandable thing that I can totally understand. But then there's also like, 
this part of me that's like a strong empowered woman that's like you're gonna let one asshole like derail your entire life like I just can't I can't I have a I have trouble sympathizing with that I feel like if you're gonna be this like badass chick that came from from New York City like I know lots of people from New York City I don't know one person from New York City that has like a problem with a single asshole like I I I, that's just not the vibe of that city and so yeah I think I just like didn't quite she didn't feel that she came home and felt guilt watching her dad selling away her his like business Yes, absolutely. I get the guilt aspect of it. Like I understand. I thought so. I thought that was one of the more um, interesting, uh, like character development sort of things that you don't see as much as this idea that uh, she's not just carrying her father's dreams on her shoulders. It's the entire neighborhood has placed their dreams and their goals and and their idea of themselves as having this potential to succeed on her shoulders. And that I think is a really yeah. effective. Um, More interesting than the conflict itself. Yes, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I, I think that, that, yeah, I think that is more interesting. I don't think they focus on that as much. She has like that one song she's doing, but even that wasn't even like the best song in the movie and even wasn't like the oh, best no. song in terms of like being visually interesting or anything. Um, so it was kind of hard, like, I theoretically, and I understand that that was a really interesting moment, but then like, it doesn't stick out in my brain when I think about it afterwards as something that made me feel very strongly during the movie itself. So, um, so yeah, I I also think so, right. So we're talking about like, so her dad sells the whole business. Mm Um, and like, I get that guilt, but he's already sold like half of the business. Yeah. And, um, again, like where I feel like there's no stakes. Like I feel like even, and maybe this is just like, maybe I'm just lame and I need like an old fashioned storyline to follow properly, but like the stakes, I feel like would have been higher if they had spent more time actually dealing with this. We can't afford to send you to Stanford anymore. Yeah. Cause her dad pretty much is like, we'll make it happen. You, uh, the money will be here. Yeah, he and doesn't. she's like, no, I yeah. don't want it to be here. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I think that was another like unique thing that I really liked in this film was that he just full on was like he he didn't he never questioned for a moment selling his own business because mm-hmm. he in his mind, yeah. it was his job to make mm-hmm. her life better than his was to, to, to put her on a path that could make her life be even better than his. And and that I understand a lot like this is my my family is italian um so we're a different kind of immigrant family but uh like that's absolutely just a a a sentiment is that you want to give your children a better life than you had like if there's a lot of a lot of mediterranean um a lot of mediterranean um cultures have a lot of familial similarities to latino Mm -hmm. Cultures <laughs> that that family aspect I think runs runs pretty similar in a lot of those, those cultures. American, not so. <laughs> they no. don't play no. that. Uh, <laughs> they don't play that family business. Yeah, you're 18. You gotta go. You go do it yourself. I got here. You go do your thing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I think another thing like speaking of that family thing uh, that I really liked about this movie is the way that they made family. Uh, 
a non it's a not a blood family yeah. thing right like uh, let me tell you the italians are like they're pretty like my family is my family and it's like the blood relatives those are yeah. the ones like <laughs> yeah, they, they'll always be nice to the people that are not their blood relatives yes. but there's definitely like oh they're very much more attached yes. to it but the uh <laughs> but in the heights it's it seems very much about a community and the family was very much outside of just this you know literally blood blonde bonded people you know you have the all these scenes at the abuela's house and yeah. it's all the people from the neighborhood hanging out everybody calls her abuela she's she's the mother of the grandmother of the entire neighborhood yeah. which which is a a sentiment and like a a a character relationship thing i don't think is explored as much in our stories um this idea of family that is not that is definitely a relatable thing because growing up, uh, it was like m my dad's friends basically were like, <laughs> were like my titos and titas. My, they were my uncles and aunts. Um, so <laughs> it wasn't until I got older that I realized, oh, I literally have no relation <laughs> to these people uh, <laughs> that I've just known my entire life and have been calling like, oh, yeah. That's interesting that Italians have a similar honorific, but we, we just attach that to anybody who's they're still blood related, right? So it's like my cousin, my like second or third cousin. Yeah. Group. Like you don't have to be that closely tied to us by blood oh, for yeah. us to like make you a part of the family. But like, yeah, yeah I, I think I, I can identify with that, but I think that it's clearly, uh, it seems to be like, especially like that specific neighborhood and that kind of, um, that economic world and that just the combination of cultures. Yeah. Um, I, like, I think what, uh, what's also kind of interesting and does a good job there, which, and we can talk about the kind of problematic aspect of it that has got the Twitter world ablaze, yes. um, which is uh, that, you know, there's this big number in the middle where they are talking about how the neighborhood is just comprised of people from all over Latin America. It's not just Dominican Republic or Puerto Rican. It's, it's, it's all kinds of people from these Spanish-speaking countries, um, which is lovely uh, and beautiful. And I think that um, European people do not have that same sort of like <laughs> love of all the. Right? We seem we seem to get very like, oh, I'm Norwegian, I'm Italian, I'm I'm Irish, right? You kind of get a little bit more French, focused on yeah. it. Yeah. And that's not to say that I have not met people who are like, I am Cuban. How dare you call me anything yeah. else? Like. I've met those people as well, but uh, we're gonna get a little, a little racy right here. I think once you start going south, where your mother lives in Florida, yeah. uh, <laughs> the Cuban population particularly seems to distance themselves quite uh, passionately, particularly against Mexicans, but yeah. uh, against lots of other yeah. <laughs> Latin American countries. Yeah, I think New York is a little bit more blended. Maybe that's because it's the New York culture is to yeah. just blend, is to be that melting pot of the mm -hmm. United States. And Florida, not so much known for that. Um, they dominate in numbers there, like, you know, the panhandle closest to their country of origin. So mm -hmm. that's where they, they go. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think in New York, it's much more of, yes, yeah. we are all family and under one culture. Yeah. Yeah. So th these were aspects of it that I really liked in terms of like the the plot and the storyline. Um, but I just didn't feel like there was enough 
there for me to really like there's also no villain uh i'm pretty sure the villain in the movie was a heat wave a blackout and a heat wave combined that seemed to be the like weird villain fixation. <laughs> i don't understand I don't... the villain is like colonialism it's gentrification <laughs> it's white but, privilege and supremacy sure theoretically but they don't even spend that much time on it like all of you have like <laughs> Like, I, I mean, they very, they very specifically were like the only people who are like close to villains in this are going to be the two white people you see on the screen at any point in time. You got the lady who tells Vanessa that she can't approve her um, her application without a proper credit score. And this dry cleaner dude who's like <laughs> charging them outrageous amounts for little napkins. Yes. Who also doesn't have any lines he's got like two lines i don't know who's playing this guy i i have never <laughs> seen him before in my life he seemed like a random white dude that they pulled off the set and we're like you're gonna say these lines now um and, and so like yeah like i just don't feel anything about this guy like i don't it, if we so if we want to make like gentrification is the like monster it's really not very big and dealt with very much in this story it's the reason that the the salon is getting pushed out so the salon ladies are all picking up and moving somewhere else because she can't she's getting Mm -hmm. pushed out of the neighborhood Mm -hmm. so like all of their little business things are getting pushed out in in the way they do uh (laughs) typically it's not all at once um slowly but surely you start looking around and they're like oh um, all of the businesses owned by the people who live here are gone. That's fun. Oh, yay. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's, we, we live in Denver, so we could talk about gentrification and the yes. problems and the positives. <sighs> like, in some ways, gentrification is great because if there's people in this area that own the, the land and the buildings that they are operating gentrification is good for them it it brings up the value of their businesses Mm -hmm. but it can also be a problem when you know then all of a sudden pricing just changes and you can't necessarily afford things the same way Um, it's a very intensely complicated topic that two movie nerds are not going to sit here and break apart right now Um, (laughs) but I I will say no other than apparently needing a villain in her films, Ren is more fervently than maybe anybody I know, somebody who does need some plot. Um, those indie films, those, those little films that just kind of go on experience and you just live in this atmosphere for two hours are not her jam. Two hours is too long to live in an atmosphere. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I need something to follow and care about. And like, so, <laughs> and so, that's, and that's not entirely true. I like some things that are just like vibes, right? I, I will, okay. Confused. If there is like sick dialogue, I don't care if the plot is lame. If I can like enjoy the snappiness of two characters, like, and it's just a character journey, I can dig on that. But like, again, this, so this movie, you have so many main characters, like, theoretically Usnavi is the main character but also it seems like Nina's a main character and Vanessa's a a main character and Abuela's a main character and like you just don't spend enough time with one character for me to like see much of a growth and it really doesn't seem like anybody in this uh, movie grows very much I mean they they change there's just not like a a tremendous amount of growth enough for me to like you know follow character development instead as my like train track 
And apparently I, I need a train track to follow on a movie. Um, and I, I knew pulled- going in that Rin thought about like that there wasn't enough plot in here. And that, that was kind of my my rationalization for it. Not really rationalization, but my explanation is just that I, I do think there are too many main storylines so that it just is so much that we don't focus in on anyone too much. And I think that could be a problem, though the musical fans all are already mad at how much Nina and Benny were sidelined in the film. Uh, they had several of their songs cut out more than any of the other characters. Uh, some of their stuff was also replaced with Usnavi and Vanessa instead of Benny and Nina. So those musical fans, if we had started cutting out even more, I think yeah. they would have been real mad. Well, I imagine that was their attempt to make it more movie friendly to, you know, <laughs> be like, okay, listen, we know there's too many plot lines here. Yeah. There's too many character relationships. Y'all can't follow it. So I can understand them trying to like change it that way. But I mean, the thing is, no matter what you do, people who have uh, an idea of what this was supposed to be, who are attached to the original form of it, no matter what, you're going to get some people that are upset about it. I, I think, honestly, like 80% of musical theater nerds are displeased with the the film version that comes out. I, I rarely hear from other theater people excitement about the quality of a musical adaptation. I, I think, I'm trying to think of like any of them that I've actually seen. To ha- I mean, had somebody I will be like, say most hey. of it has been pretty positive from the fans of this show, particularly. They're just like, oh, I'm just disappointed that Benny and um, yeah. Nina got sidelined. But overall, I liked it. Um, yeah. So I think mostly people are okay with this one. Mm-hmm. The past ones, which we're going to speak about here shortly, have not had a great track record. Mm-hmm. So I can understand because I think even people just going in and watching the film are like, mm. Yeah, I'm not I, sure about that. Uh. <laughs> so I think one of the key things here with um, why in the Heights is is a uh, so I uh, to, to full disclosure, I uh, was I was only vaguely familiar with in the Heights. Uh, like it came out when I was in college and I knew that it existed. And we had kind of talked about it a little bit in terms of um, how innovative it was uh, for its inclusion of people of color. Um, I actually didn't realize that it had this uh, hip hop uh, rap musical aspect to it um like i did not I, I and i didn't draw the line to in the heights and hamilton until long after hamilton and uh larry i know you had like speculated that maybe i didn't like in the heights as much because i loved hamilton so much and i saw it first and i was disappointed um and the reality is i will also tell you on top of being a theater nerd i am a big revolutionary war nerd so there is no way any theater musical of any kind is going to impact me the way that Hamilton did because I was just delighted on multiple levels. Um, but also, like, if we want to talk about it, Hamilton has a better story. <laughs> like, you follow one character, it's you watch his story, growth. Sure. Yes, and it, it's an interesting story from beginning yeah. to end. So it just resonates better with my own way of absorbing media. So did you um, have a favorite song in In the Heights? Oh, what did I love? Um, I, so there's a little part of me that really loves, just loves uh, Lin-Manuel with his little... Um, the little Paragua song? <laughs> it's just so cute and light and fun. And I cannot oh, That help. was his whole purpose. His whole purpose yes. was gentrification. That was yeah. his whole character's entire point That's of being true. there. 
And uh, so the other thing is like, I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't think that Lin-Manuel, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is an amazing human being. I have stronger opinions about, I, like, I don't think he should necessarily be singing in every single thing that he does. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think he's a, a, a like top of the line singer, but I think he is an incredible creator. I think he is doing amazing things. And I think that if he wants to be the star in his amazing show, he wrote more power to him. Well, I'm not going to judge that. A funny story that I had read was actually he wasn't going to be in this mm-hmm. and they were going to cut the Piragua man and mm-hmm. the songs. They were just going to cut it from the whole film. Yeah. And cool. he was like, no, you can't. Why would you do that? And they were like, <laughs> here's the deal. If, if you sing the Priagua song and you're him, we'll keep it in. Otherwise, we're going to cut it. So he was like, yes, I, it needs to be in the movie. So I'm going to, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, there's, so I like the Piragua and I just, I find him to be such an adorable, sweet, like he just oozes warmth and generosity and kindness and just like see him on the screen. And I'm like, what a adorable, sweet man. We need more of him in the world. So I think there was like that I was like a little bit attached to it from that perspective. Um, and then so uh, so it was interesting. Uh, my uh, husband came to see the movie with us and he was not as into the music when he watched the movie because he had trouble. He doesn't he doesn't doesn't do a very good job of like listening to lyrics. So he has a hard time following a story if too much of it is told through the lyrics. So he kind of came out feeling like a little bit like, mm, I don't know what that was. And then the next day I heard him just like listening to the soundtrack like all day. And he's like, that's a great soundtrack. <laughs> it was like, so he needed it divorced from yeah. his need to follow the plot mm-hmm. um, in order to actually appreciate the music of it. Um, so I, the music is very good. Um, but I, I think my favorite would be, and of course I didn't do a very good job of like researching. The one where they're in the pool. I oh, like that number a 000. lot. Yes, 96,000. I like a big splashy number and it was like literally splashy. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I like that one a lot. Also, um, <laughs> talking about, this has turned into a whole thing with me and my husband because uh, it's that 96,000, right? Yeah. And uh, a friend of ours, I was like, why? 96,000 seems like a really specific number. And one of the friends who came to see the movie with us was like, well, you can't, you can't really retire on 96,000. And they say it in this, in the, um, in the, in the song itself and i looked at my husband who is a big finance nerd like watches it on youtube constantly and was like well if you invest it properly oh you might be gosh. able to make that something you can talk right. he went on this whole thing larry he went on this whole thing about how if you invest that ninety six thousand dollars, you can you could have 1.2 1.4 million by the time you retire if you're like you know presumably stage. thank so- god i wasn't standing near you all at all in the slightest uh when uh, this discussion happened so that was i think i'm a little attached to that for several different reasons um but okay, so then that brings me to another thing that I like don't quite understand. The like the need for money was another thing that didn't quite like translate. I don't know why. It, like it's like okay, yeah, clearly this guy has to sell his business in order to send his daughter to Stanford, mm-hmm. but also it's like it didn't seem like that big a deal for him. It seemed like money didn't seem like a huge concern for him. Um and then there's like one line in that song where Usnavi mentions that he needs 
half of that just to save himself from financial ruin. ruin. Yeah. Which is like, they don't talk about that at all. The rest of the movie, like the bodega seems like it's doing fine. It's clearly doing well enough. But he saved him up enough to leave. Yeah. He was able like, to put the money down to get his dad's yeah. bar back. So again, like, it's just like, I don't know what the conflict is, right? Like, are you, yeah. are you struggling financially? Cause then that's <laughs> something I can like understand and follow. And then that's like a conflict we can move yeah. through with. But it, he, he says it once yeah. and then it's fine. Uh, it doesn't seem to be an issue. He's got enough money to, you know, save his yeah, money yeah. and move away and open a new shop. And presumably well, 96,000 like, is what a fan favorite. This is a lot of people's favorite song from the musical. So you're definitely not alone there. Right. And I think the film version, uh, you know, of course, people are going to have their preference on the actual song itself, mm -hmm. but that's one of those instances. And I think actually In the Heights does a much better job of this than a lot of recent musical adaptations is they utilized their new medium. They said, okay, we're going to keep the same atmosphere of what this song is all about, but it's time to put it into scenarios we can't do on the stage that we would never be able to accomplish in a stage. So this big pool number where we're like sweeping over the top of them and they're doing this choreography in the pool. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the building thing, the like side of the building. Yeah. Um, the, the window. So, the window. Where he's like looking throwing. through the window and you just oh, see the dancers in the reflection. So amazing. That, yeah. shot, that shot from just like a filmmaking standpoint is so yeah. amazing and yeah. like so technical for such mm -hmm. a small and it represents a lot. I mean, the symbolism, the technicality, that shot is amazing. So they yeah, do I thought... so much in this movie to be like, this is a film adaptation. Yes. We're, we're yes. going to take full advantage of the new media I... rather than just let it exist here. Yeah, I think this is easily the best. So I, as a theater person, I love theater that takes full advantage of the fact that it's theater, yes. that it's like <laughs> live and it's happening right there. Simultaneously, I love that they made a film adaptation of a Broadway musical and took full advantage of the fact that it was a film instead. Yeah. And I think this is one of the, this is probably the best. We'll talk about something else. This is hands down the best for taking advantage of the film medium and like taking it to end degree. I think that the directing was fantastic. I thought the dancing was fantastic. On a technical level, this was a fantastic film. The, I, the only complaint I really have is like the storyline. Everything else the, is fantastic. Thinking, because in recent years, we've had oh. a lot of problems with them hiring actors <laughs> who talk sing. Which or, we can get to. <laughs> or try. Uh, I'm wearing a... Yeah. If these you're were listening to this, I'm wearing a Disney shirt, but even these Disney musicals, we're getting like Emma Watson in here who, bless her heart, uh, I, she tries, but whoof. Um, right. that, <laughs> so, and that's, and that's this, thing that they hired a singer, like people who could sing. Yeah. or yeah. Rap, uh, and, and I think even Anthony Ramos does a good job at both because, you know, he, he at least is on Lin-Manuel's Miranda's uh, who originated the role of Uzanavi. Mm -hmm. I believe Anthony Ramos also played Uzanavi on a stage version um, later down the road. Obviously, Olga Meredes, who plays the abuela, she originated the role of abuela on the Broadway show as well. Mm -hmm. so they have a lot of Broadway people here already who are like <laughs> singers. Leslie Grace, who plays Nina, is like a Latina singer. She makes a lot of Latin music already, yeah. too. So 
that's that's what I appreciated them mm-hmm. for. Yeah, this the, the technical skill of every single performer was top notch. The the dancing was top notch. Like, um, and that that would I mean we can start moving into yeah. the films that I do not like that are from this modern era, um, because I think the biggest sin that most of them co- that that most of them commit is they hire actors instead of singers. And as a theater person, my complaint has always been that I know people who have been working at their singing skills and their dancing skills for their entire career, decades of just making their voice a finely tuned magical instrument. And then you get these people who are like actors who can sing theoretically can sing that are auto-tuned and it's just so deeply disappointing and upsetting especially when it's like especially when it's movies that demand a high caliber of vocal skill um so let's start with my own personal favorite uh if we want to make me the villain here i hate anna kendrick as a singer (laughs) So much. Now, what's interesting about this is that I read this later. She actually was in the original Les Mis uh, brought, oh. uh, on Broadway. She played Cosette. Li- she's played little Cosette. She played the little girl. Okay. Now, I imagine that Anna Kendrick as a little girl singing in a little girl voice was probably adorable. As an adult, she doesn't have the musical chops to be the person we hire for every single musical film. It, she just doesn't. She's a cute person. She's not a bad actress. She's funny. I enjoy her in a lot of other contexts. But if I get a twinge of anger, I think somebody identified it. It is my nerd, nerd rage that comes out every time I see her cast in a role she is not qualified to be singing in. So... Into the Woods, she should not have been cast as Cinderella. There's multiple reasons why she shouldn't have been Cinderella, but um, I think mainly it's that she just isn't vocally outstanding enough. I have to say the one person I generally give a little bit of a pass to, since we're speaking of Into the Woods, um, is Queen Meryl Streep. Absolutely. Because <laughs> she sings well enough. Uh, you know, she's not Bernadette Peters, but she she delivers what she needs to. But she has such a skill that so many of these other actors don't in how she acts mm-hmm. through her singing. So like Into the Woods, we're speaking on it. She She's not able to blow the roof off like Bernadette Peters does during that number. But she just acts through it so well that you were like feeling what her character is telling you. And it's it's a whole moment in and of itself. And that's, that's what Meryl is so good at. And most actors are not Meryl Streep. I know people like to say overrated now and she knows and she's won three Oscars. People get the blowback on Meryl, but it's a simple fact. She is one of the best of all time. And, you know, she's in Mamma Mia as well. Another one that we would talk about in in the second one as well. But Mm -hmm. yeah, she's the, she's one of the only ones because a lot of other people that James Corden, oh my God. I don't okay, know so where here's my came from. <laughs> why? Why is he the de facto musical I, person now? Why? I don't know. Cats, prom, into the woods. Like every time we're doing musicals, we're like, get James Corden because he did car karaoke on his talk show. What? I, what? I, and I think he was he was cast as the baker before he had a, a, a show. So I genuinely don't know why he was cast or how like the baker is is the main character basically you have the baker and the baker's wife like we i did into the woods when i was in high school and like those were the roles to get 
the baker and the baker's wife. Those were like the two things you wanted to do, or the witch. I remember the witch. The witch. It was just a great role. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so it was it was baffling to me that they cast James Corden. I was like, who is this guy? He's not even like a Broadway singer. Like, like I think I think visually I can dig on him as like that character. Like I don't think he's supposed to be. I think he's supposed to be uniquely different from Prince Charming, who is. Chris Pine and uh, let me just tell you, Chris he Pine can take me into the woods anytime. Let me tell you, Chris Pine <laughs> and his little musical number. Oh my god! In that yes. movie, oh. I'm just gonna say that now. Hands down. Okay, so that is my favorite <laughs> number it. in Into the Woods. It is potentially one of my favorite numbers just in like all of musical theater because it's so good and it's so funny and it's so yeah. like it it's so unexpected. Um, yeah, the, I the, so you can get away with not being an yeah. outstanding vocalist if you I are doing. Like something humorous yeah. or if you're doing something like you know you're acting the shit yeah, out yeah. of whatever you're singing yeah. um but yeah so I, I didn't i was not interested in anna kendrick also and i know that this is gonna be mean i think anna kendrick is a cute human she is not gorgeous and i feel like cinderella needs to be mind-bogglingly gorgeous that's supposed to be the whole thing right she's got to be so gorgeous that even when she's covered in cinders and dirt her stepsisters and her stepmother still fear her because she could take over the world with her beauty and we can talk about all the problematic aspects of this on another date i mean (laughs) they have a problem with this in live action fairy tales not from disney specifically because even when we get like snow white and the huntsman it's like Kristen stewart and we're supposed to believe Charlize theron is like intimidated (laughs) by Kristen Stewart's breathtaking beauty and you're like girl you got nothing to worry about you're still the most beautiful woman on planet earth I would be the first person to say that a woman's worth should not be tied to her physical beauty however I'm also going to be another person to say that if it's relevant to the plot then it needs to be relevant yes (laughs) and that's that's the problem with these fairy tales if you're going to redo a fairy tale that's going to be a problematic aspect that you're just going to have to address and you can't just ignore it right it can't just pretend like this, I mean, like Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively in a simple favor. Like there's another like, I don't understand <laughs> why these two women are being like put up as like equally attractive. Like, again, Anna Kendrick is an adorable human being. And then Very you cute. Style Blake, the like they did in that movie and you make her like unearthly gorgeous in yeah. the styling. <laughs> it's like, well, uh, Henry, yeah. I think you're trying. <laughs> That's yes. been made for you, your wife, the one you've been with. So, uh, so generally, so like, so we want to start talking about. So, like, we brought up Into the Woods. Generally, I would say that Into the Woods suffered from like a lot of miscasting. Um, it's also like, so it's Stephen Sondheim, which if we want to get like nerdy about it, Stephen Sondheim is very difficult music. His shows are also very long and very weird. Um, like another Stephen Sondheim, most people have seen, which we'll talk about here, is. Sweeney Todd. So it's uh, another movie that are, uh, well, a musical adaptation um, from the same creator. And the music is really hard. It's very difficult. It's um, really complex melodies and harmonies and everything. Um, And uh, I just think that it was a mistake from the very beginning not to cast into the woods with people that were singers, first of all. Um, I don't think something like, right? So we, these music movie musicals they're made because they have a built-in fan base so you don't need to cast anna kendrick to get people to go see into the woods you can cast 
you you can yeah you can cast you can cast a broadway star and people are gonna be even more excited about it that like the the audience that you are trying to pull in i mean i guess theoretically maybe their th- thought process is like we have those theater people they're gonna come no matter what now we need a big name star to get the non-theater people but i mean I think that trend is changing. Horribly missed the boat because I think everyone would have been there if we actually got Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth for the Wicked movie that has been in production hell for like over a decade at this point. Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth are way too old for those roles now. I do not care. Please put them (laughs) in there. Use all that digital technology you have, that de-aging. If we can make (laughs) Michael Douglas look 40 years younger, we can absolutely make Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth look like 20 years younger. Kristen um, still sounds like she could be like 10 years old yeah, when totally. she speaks, so. <laughs> yeah, and this is my big musical theater flex. I saw Wicked in previews, like before it even came out. And so I saw Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth like in the original iteration. So there's just not, like never in my mind will anyone else be close or reasonable enough. So I have a uh, question for you, musical yes. nerd. Speaking yes. of one of these adaptations, what went wrong with Ranch then? Because they did oh, bring a, a great... lot of the cast. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to make back to film so um so uh, here's the thing um yes i love the fact that they pulled in almost the entire cast Uh, i think the only person that wasn't is um my uh not maureen maureen's girlfriend oh my god let me look it up real quick I'm going to punch myself. Oh my right. Maureen is the Edina Menzel character, but I think yeah. the only one, uh, Rosario Dawson, who Rosario plays Dawson. Mimi, was not in the original one. And uh, who else? It was Joanne mm. uh, is the girlfriend of Maureen. She was not in the original one either. Okay. But um, but other than that, they pulled in, like, you know, Anthony Rapp is like a big deal. Adam yeah. Pascal is like a big deal on Broadway. Same with yeah. Edina Menzel. And so- of course. Um, I, and and actually, strangely enough, Tay Diggs is actually does a lot on Broadway. You'd be surprised uh, for a person who can make it that much uh, on in film. In film, also kills it on Broadway. He was he was Fierro, and he was like the second one of the uh, the following Fierros. Anyways, Anyways. Um, so uh, what went wrong with Rent? Uh, first of all, Rent is boring. <laughs> 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 Listen, Rent is based on this uh, this opera called La Vie Boheme, uh, which is the most boring opera I've ever been to. And let me tell you, I hate opera. I think it is a very, very boring, boring, boring medium. And they don't do very much to make it any more relevant to our modern audiences. And the, the I, there I've had many people tell me that if I would just sit down and really like study opera and understand all of opera, that I would like it better. And yes, I'm sure I would. But as a person that just goes to opera, I am bored out of my mind. Um, so that is the problem with rent. Rent is boring. Uh, it okay. is it is too long, and if you and it's just if you don't have the energy uh, and the excitement of the live performance and everything that's happening live, it just like nobody cares. It's like yeah, great, everybody's dying of AIDS. I think and- that one song is really like caught on the minutes song. Yes, yeah, um, well, yeah, five hundred twenty-five thousand. So th- that song itself, I think, broke into the mainstream through the film. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that that one is, I mean, that one is just like, it's just that one's, so Seasons of Love is just an amazing song. Yeah, it's just a beautiful, amazing song. Um, And the other thing with Rent was, I think Rent came out too late um, because when the original musical came out, it was at like, 
you know, it was right after the height of the AIDS crisis. So um, I remember when I was in college, maybe it was high school, but we were kind of talking about how like Rent was the musical of that generation, of the previous generation, like generation Gen X, that was their musical. That was like the big thing. That was a zeitgeist, a zeitgeist and it like captured so much of that mm-hmm. era, right? There was very grunge and like, it's all like, you know, you got your little rock star dude. Um, and, and so I think it was just really relevant at the time that it came out. But then when Rent came out, which was like 2006 or something like that, AIDS is just not, it, it's, it, it's, AIDS was still kind of a crisis, but like, I mean, we have so we the medical advances are so um so much uh more advanced now that it's just not as um dire a problem as it was at yeah. that point in time um so it just like it lacks the um the relevance that it did when it initially came out so i think that was part of the problem as well um i think yeah i think it's it's that it, it is not a film that uh, it is not a show that translates well to film because it is it, nothing really happens yeah. um that is it, it's yeah <laughs> they can't pay the rent That's, well you know. has AIDS and, <laughs> yeah. but one that did take off obviously both commercially and critically awards wise is the film that we kind of used as our kickoff to yeah. this modern era of musical adaptations and that is Best Picture winner, Chicago. Uh (laughs) And Chicago is the touchstone that we're using for our modern idea of what it should be. So one of the requirements was that it had to come after Chicago. Uh, And also uh, we kind of knocked a couple out there. So if there's any theater nerds that are like, why didn't you talk about the producers or Hairspray? So we knocked producers and Hairspray out of there because they're a little bit different because they started as movies, then turned into musicals, then were made into movie musicals. So um, the translation there is not as as much of yeah. a jump um which i personally I, love the new hairspray movie i thought it was really fun oh yeah. i love I, I love the original hairspray movie too um but irrelevant i also love irrelevant. producers it's yeah. hilarious producers. i love the original movie i love the musical and the the movie musical is fantastic matt broderick and nathan lane were the ones on broadway that made it <laughs> life if i could watch nathan lane all the time i'd be a Always. happy camper yes. he's, he's fan- fabulous fabulous but how so, do you feel about chicago? chicago the only one of these who actually broke through and won that yeah. academy award for best picture yeah, and I think uh, so. The the nice thing about Chicago is I I feel like Chicago really um, kind of brought the movie musical back. There had been like a big lull between like mm-hmm. the seventies and sixties and seventies musicals. Like there was Jesus Christ Superstar and Annie and like all these things that came out and the and Rocky Horror sort of in like the seventies and like there's just a big lull in like the eighties and nineties where it just had kind of completely fallen out of favor. Um, and then Chicago came along and people were like, oh, right. Musicals are fun. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think um, I loved Chicago all the way around. I, I don't think I was super aware of it before the movie came out and it really kicked off my young love <laughs> for musicals. I think as a theater person, I kind of was, it was basic, right? I was like, I like Disney musicals and I really like the Wizard of Oz and I would do whatever play we were doing at school. But um, Chicago kicked off my like, my interest in actually finding uh, musicals that I liked and then listening and listening to musicals. Um, So complete disclaimer, both Ren and I 
had huge childhood crushes on Catherine Zeta-Jones, which yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not saying was the reason we love Chicago, but I'm not also saying it isn't what sparked us to maybe want to give it a try in the first place as children. <laughs> oh, look at this beautiful woman. Who yeah. is she? I've seen her in Zorro and all I these other say, things and I love her. Larry and I both had uh, <laughs> feelings around Mask of Zorro when the Antonio Banderas cuts off her little outfit. It was like, oh, it was like yes. a childhood like epiphany yes. moment of like wait what's happening yes. uh, right yes. now but yes and as, as that was probably my first like stirrings of like ah, i'm interested in women no <laughs> um yeah. but yeah so Catherine zeta jones i like had a huge crush on and she's uh, she's a perfect velma kelly i, I think she's she great. kills it as velma kelly i think queen latifah is oh, like so the pen ultimate mama morton um i think i think actually renee zellweger she she um, is not great all the time, uh, but I think that she, I think she does a really good job with yeah. Roxy. I've seen Roxy, I, I saw Chicago on Broadway like uh, once, um, and I think they did a pretty decent job of taking the the Broadway Chicago that was really popular at that point and kind of translating it over to film. Uh, so the, the caveat with the online, or the online, <laughs> the Broadway version, it was super minimal. It was just like chairs and people in lingerie uh, and black outfits. And so it was like all about the performances. It was about the dancing. It was about okay. the characterization. Um, and then I saw, uh, and so I saw the movie first. Uh, and I think that the movie had some of those aspects, um, but it really, uh, it really leaned into the fact it was a movie, right? Yeah, so like yeah. those fantasy sections yeah. that Roxy has were like amazing and glamorous like i think they did a great job of like you know a lot of the uh, some of the sometimes people object to musicals because they don't like the uh, the sudden bursting into song yes. that is weird for them yes. but i think chicago did some really unique stuff where they they made every song not a sudden burst into song it was a fantasy number it was moved into this otherworldly realm where you could kind of understand okay now they're doing the song and dance thing okay great um and you, you know you got to um appreciate all the dancing and everything also i, I thought richard greer did a really good job of learning how to tap dance I thought that was very cute and sweet. I think he was a good Billy Flynn. Um, okay. I think there's been a lot of legendary Billy Flynn's. I think the casting on that movie was really, really great. Um, I don't think that you need Roxy Hart to have an amazing voice. Um, her range is not huge, so it's okay. Yeah. Um, the thing with Chicago is the music actually is is pretty simple. It's yeah. it's not you don't need you don't need those big yes, singers. You do not yeah. need those. I, I can I can sing every single song from Chicago and that is saying something cuz my range is not huge. Also, wow. Mr. Cellophane, John C. Riley, that was probably my first encounter with John C. Riley oh. in any sort of like a real acting context and he's just so good. Mr. Cellophane, it would be it, it can be it's like a heartbreaking little number when he does it um so yeah Chicago's well, <laughs> we're going from one of the best casted to maybe the worst casted uh even though it did win an oscar for acting for best supporting actress let's talk a little bit about lamius and <laughs> okay. this casting choices that were made here 
So I actually don't necessarily object to the casting choices that much. So here's the thing, and this is what people probably don't know. Um, I think I'm pretty sure that Hugh Jackman would love to just do musicals all the time. He's okay. I'm okay with him. I'm thinking more along the lines of Russell Crowe. Eddie Redmayne, even like a lot of these little bad, yeah. these little people running around. I'm like, uh, well, so the so the bit the mi- the casting wasn't great. It was okay, but the major problem is that so Les Mis was a depressing movie. Yes. It was a sad movie. <laughs> Lots of people die and they convey the whole thing. Then they made a musical about it. And then this musical is beautiful. The music is amazing. And it brings a whole new level of understanding to this very complicated, very moving story of these people at this particular point in time struggling and trying to figure out what is right and what is good and how to be a good person. And, you know, it answers these beautiful questions. But then when you make a movie where you ignore the beautiful music part of Les Mis, it's really hard to care um, or to feel like any of the actors has done a very good job. Um, I think most of Les Mis as a musical is is built into the music. It's mostly music. And yeah, so awesome. when you have an idiot director who does this idiot thing where he decides, I'm just gonna let the actors talk sing. So then they're not impeded by the music. Are you kidding me? Anybody who has ever sung ever knows you're not supposed to be impeded by the music. You're supposed to use the music. The music <laughs> guides you so that you hit the right notes and you know you're moving at the right pace and like it's actually a very complicated skill to be able to fit a, a, like a, a riff into a, an improvised riff into the space that you have to actually do that and lame is this just I don't know why we're gonna move into this I don't know why that guy thought he could direct a musical. Uh, what was it? What, what other stuff has he directed? I know we kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, I believe um, the King's Speech. Yes, that's what it was. He wrote, he did the King's Speech and they were like, yeah, have a musical. Yeah. And like, I think maybe the logic there was, well, he did a period piece and it won an Oscar. Let's give him another period piece that won lots of Tonys and see if he can't win an Oscar. Um, and another one. Yeah. And so he, I mean, he just like... This this is kind of like that same line of like, if you're going to do a musical, hire singers and dancers that know what they're doing. And if you're going to do a musical, hire a director that knows how to direct a musical. Because yeah, like, he had them like singing live and using the had live, them like live vocal and then, takes. Yes. And then he had all the, he had the band figure out how to play the music to underneath the, oh. these vocal takes, which is insane. Which is, right? now this is mine. I yeah. played it in high school. Um, yeah, you you know, because you have your conductor, uh, you, you, you are able to adjust a little bit if the singer goes off or, you know, something happens, you have to be ready. But <laughs> you are not supposed to completely change the rhythm and just be like, oh, <laughs> as the singer just is talking around no that's insane and that is a horrible horrible way to try to produce music at all okay. and then 
I think this should absolutely bring us into, so this, I can say, I, I thought the performances were like, fine. Most of the singers were not Anne Hathaway good. won her Oscar. Hugh, yeah, Hugh Jackman, I, I love his little love for musicals. I think it's adorable. I saw him in uh, a Broadway show where he was like the star, like way before anybody realized that was all he wanted to do. When he was Wolverine, he got like a run on Broadway of doing this show called The Boy From Oz, where he was this like, he was uh, the like second husband of Liza. He was, it was about the second husband of Liza Minnelli. So it was the most flamboyant character I've ever seen. A and you could see the joy emanating from him <laughs> the whole time. He loved it. And I don't even necessarily think that he is like an amazing top-notch singer, but the, the joy translates yeah. enough for me to be like, okay, great, whatever. Um, but and that brings um, us to Hooper and his second yes. endeavor into his, adapting his, a musical. His great crime against um, both film and musical history. Yes. And I guess that will that will lead us to both. <laughs> I, I first want to pose the question, why, since he's so famous and he puts on these shows that just go on and on and never die on Broadway and is one of the most famous to normies for sure playwrights out there. Why is Andrew Lloyd Webber so difficult to adapt to film apparently? Because both of them have been less, one was less than stellar, one was downright terrible. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to reach back to something else I was saying before. Same deal with Rent. Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber makes shows that are good as pieces of theater. They are not as good as pieces of film. Um, and if you are not able to add and subtract to what he's doing in a way that makes it a more suitable a piece of the story and everything for film, um, then you're going to have a harder time. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is also, I think that like, uh, I don't know, I just think that sometimes people just do a bad job. Like the opera, they just did like not a good job. It was like- Wasted Patrick Wilson, who is actually a wonderful singer. Uh, mind you, just wasted oh, yeah. him. Having Gerard Google Butler, his, uh, uh, who- Google Patrick Wilson doing uh, the uh, the national anthem. Yeah, and you'll know, oh, he can actually singer. sing. Gerard Butler is a terrible singer and should yeah. have never been cast as the Phantom. Yeah. Emma uh, Rossum, she's good. I thought she had a beautiful voice. So yeah. I was fine with her, but it was Gerard Butler. The title yeah. character of your film cannot sing like at all. So, so that at its core is a problem. Also, again, like Phantom of the Opera is just better, better live. Like it's. Yeah. It's a show that's set at the opera. It's like, it's one of the original like immersive shows, right? To, to a point, right? Like you have the the chandelier that falls into oh, the audience, yeah. right? That, that was like, oh my God, the huge at the time. And like, it's, you would have the, the phantom would be up in the box that was like in the theater, right? So like yeah. it, it was a, it felt more exciting when you were there watching the show live because it was like you were a part of everything that was happening when it starts moving into a film it's like uh, i don't feel as connected to what's happening and it's just yeah. not exciting and music is okay no, no, no. Yeah, so, i think i think the dramaticism definitely works better on stage because yes. it's a very yes. dramatic play yes, like totally. the music is dramatic the acting is big and dramatic mm -hmm. and it just works better there where it's just, it's a little bit ridiculous when it gets to a film but then Hooper outdid himself with Les Mis and outdid Phantom of the Opera when it comes to not great uh, Lloyd Webber 
adaptations. So and real quick, I do have to say, that. Jesus Christ Superstar is actually a very good interpretation of his films or uh, of his. I was like, I know, I think there is one that is actually okay. good. Jesus Christ Superstar is actually very good. Yes. Um, but it does not fit into this particular no. round because we are not. <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar came out in like yeah. 1973, yeah, so it doesn't count. But that's, that's when generally people knew how to make musicals yeah. and just at they large. were already in it. Yes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. But they no, struggle. No, no. Yeah, they started. Yeah, it started with Phantom of the Opera. Okay, so and now we have Cats. Okay, biggest abomination to modern day movie musicals. The worst of all of these, I would say, (laughs) easily, and one of the worst films, certainly of the what was it, two thousand nineteen, that it came out, and possibly that entire decade. Yeah. So first of all, we have to has to be said uh, that when I Larry was there when I heard that they were turning cats into a movie. <laughs> and I laughed nonstop for hours, just hours of remembering it and laughing yes. because cats yes. is the absolute worst choice of all the musicals in the world to turn into a film. It, it is nonsense. It's nonsense already. It was, there's a, there's a, a, a like, I've watched like a, a, a making of, of the cats, like, before the movie was made because yes if you grew up at any point between like 1980 when it came out i want to say yeah 19 like 80 something when it came out and like 2000 and like two or three it was on broadway like that entire time and it was huge and everybody knew what cats was so i had cats i was very familiar with it it was one of the first live shows that i saw and it is nonsense so when he um was like you know trying to get it produced somebody had been like so what so what is it about is it about like the, the reunification of germany or like what, what's the meaning and andrew lloyd Webber was like it's about cats it's just about cats it's just a it's based on a book of poems about cats it was like nonsense. It's just nonsense. It's just like cats that show up and are like, I wall, I am this thing. I am this thing. And it's like, they aren't strung together very well. The, no. the plot is very loose, right? Like very loose. I, I think I remember, <laughs> I like, I'm pretty sure there's just like a cat and then she goes, they, the other cats hate her. And then all the cats want to go to like cat heaven. And then at the end, she's like rewarded by going to cat heaven. And I think I like, I explained this out loud to my husband and he was like horrified. <laughs> I'm sorry, she's rewarded with death? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's um, what they're so- all like, they're doing this big <laughs> talent show, <laughs> apparently in the movie at least, to, to die. They want to be that cat. Um, so Cats the Musical is already just like a weird musical, but Cats as a live show has a lot going for it. And one of the things that even Andrew Lloyd Webber understood from the very beginning was that Cats was going to be focused on dance and it was not as much about the music and the story and whatnot. Um, That he kind of put Cats together knowing that it was going to be a dance show. Um, And it was also a vehicle for memory. He had like written memory separately and then he created Cats and was like, okay, I'm going to put this memory song in here. He created it and was like, this is amazing. This this will be a masterpiece. I need to get it out to the world somehow. 
memory is a masterpiece. It's been sung by, you know, Barbara Streisand and Bernadette Peters and every single amazing vocalist of the last like 50 years has sung memory at some point. Um, And it it is a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was absolutely devastated that Jennifer Hudson's version of memory was cut off so many times by this stupid movie. That's what I'm saying. If you watch Jennifer Hudson, she did like a live performance of it somewhere. And it's so good. Obviously, she kills it vocally. And she even emotes so well. And then you get to the film. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, we could also bring up a uh, real quick Dream Girls, which is part of oh, this yes. modern movie musicals. Another Dream Academy Girls is another masterpiece, winner. highly approved because they hired amazing vocalists from top to bottom. And I think Added if you haven't seen Dream Girls, in. you absolutely should. And Jennifer Hudson is she, Jennifer Hudson is allowed to be not a Broadway star <laughs> and show up and just kill it. Kill it. Yeah, right yeah. that the effie song you're gonna love me Ugh. is like legendary and her oh, is, of it is so good so yeah. jennifer hudson is a an artist she and is a she should have her of i her mean craft. that should have been the show i mean they tried they released her version before the film they tried to like promote her as like oh yeah you come for this uh for to the movie but then you get to the film and it's so undercut. The emotion of it is undercut. just sliced and by so, this new character. <laughs> so, and then here's, okay, so here's the thing too. Memory is the through line for the whole show. So if you, they, they, they added this character, this Victoria cat, which just, it's terrible. It's, she's, she's supposed to be like, I guess she's supposed to be like the, the fill-in for the audience, but like, I didn't, you don't need that. Also, Cats is stupid as a movie inherently. There was no amount of you bringing me in as an audience member that was going to make me understand. But like, they just, the character also like totally undercuts it because the whole thing is supposed to be that this, so this is, um, and I, I read, a, I listened to a breakdown of it. We're going to figure out how to put like in the notes someplace, a link to this amazing breakdown of the music of it. But uh, what the, the, one of the biggest problems with Cats is that they broke up the music horribly is so the whole thing is supposed to be that you know in musicals you start with a, a, an i want song right yeah. so you think about moana and she's talking i want to go out yeah. onto the ocean you think about ariel and she's like i want to be a part of your world you think about uh well, i want out of this provisional exactly town. so there is always an i want song and yes. in cats there are no i want songs they are all i am i am i am i am i am and then and so, and we are attached to the i want song it sets yes. up of story for us as an audience to follow. So I am, I am, I am, I am from all these cats. And then Grizabella shows up and she sings a memory, which is an I want song and is possibly the greatest I want song that has ever been written. And she, you suddenly care about one character on this stage, one cat on this stage. And it like creates a whole there's very, very minimal plot to begin with, but it gives you something, something, something to follow. Um, and they just undercut it. Like they hide Grizabella the whole time. They, they, there's an, somebody's talking about how like they touch Grizabella and there's supposed to be a whole thing where she's shunned. Like if you watch the actual musical, there's a, there's a, a filmed version of the musical wow. from 1998 um, that like you can see, like they, they made an, a, a specific choice that like the cats all touch each other if they're part of the tribe. Yeah. And then if they're not, 
they are not allowed to touch. They just very like, sexual. Like, that film yeah. was very sexual. Oh my god. Okay. That also like okay, Cats is already like kind of weird and sexual, but it was also like always a family show, right? <laughs> it was supposed to be geared toward <laughs> families. And the thing with Cats that made it really, really popular on Broadway and run for forever was that uh, it could it was a show that you could watch uh, with your whole family without understanding English. It was just like so the international tourists in New York yeah, City yeah. could go and see Cats. They could enjoy a Broadway show and it didn't matter if they didn't speak everything because rum tum tugger is not a real word. Anyways. Yeah, no. Uh, Jellicle, not a real word. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> wait, unless we're trying to thought I'm so upset so about it. They just hypersexualize these cats Oh, yes, the, the hypersexualization is weird. So the hypersexualization is weird. But then, you know what I find really upsetting is that they took Mr. Mistopheles, which, uh, go ahead again, YouTube Mr. Mistopheles from the 1998 version where they filmed the film. That is the gayest cat that has ever existed in the world of gay cats. It is. He is literally sparkles and rainbows, and he is a gay cat, and he has a gay thing going with one of the other cats, and you can see it very clearly. And they made him a heterosexual love interest for their made-up character, <laughs> and that is outrageous. Yeah. It's outrageous that they tried to create like a plot, which was nonsense. Like with this, this whole, whole like kidnapping business with Idris uh, Elba. How and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Turning Idris Elba into this horrifying <laughs> naked cat thing was a they sin. Took, they took one, like, one plot line, one thing that happens at the end of Cats, which is old Deuteronomy gets like, oh, he's vanished. And then Mr. Mistopheles immediately brings him back. It's just this weird thing that happens in the play. And they try to turn <laughs> it into like a whole, oh, wait, that's, that's the crux of Oh my gosh. Conflict. The whole movie is so terrifying. Rebel <laughs> Wilson eating these little like mice and roaches who have faces <laughs> and who are like little human hybrids yeah. was horrifying. And yeah. then her unzipping her fur to like unveil a costume underneath yeah. was also horrifying so beyond the fact that none of the music is any good in this show and they basically ripped apart a like decently well-known and decently performing popular musical and like basically turned it into a big steaming pile of crap um it's just the fact that like you you are so physically uncomfortable the whole time you're watching it like i think i just sat there like tears in my eyes not like absolutely like it was just i was like all of my bodily functions are like, why is this happening? What's going on in this crowd? I don't understand. Yeah. Why do they have hands? Why don't they have cat noses or whiskers? Why do they have human oh. faces? No. They have tails, but why they also have boobs? Some of them have boobs. Not all of them have, I don't no. know. Also, oh, look, are there's they Judy Dench they... is married, or, uh, her wedding ring on her finger. That's fun. And the, um, and the, and the, the, the size scale for the cats kept changing, which is like, the audience just has no frame of reference and then to understand Judy Dench with what that weird happening. monologue straight to the camera, straight to the audience to end the movie. I know. It was so weird. I mean, they Why kept kind of looking at the camera every now and then, but then she just delivers a monologue straight to us. And you're like, I feel like you're about to suck out my soul, cat Judy Dench. I don't know what's happening. I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, cats is absolutely horrifying um it is a travesty uh i find it hilarious that it was made into a movie i am glad because i love being right that it was exactly as ridiculous as i knew it was as soon as they announced it was happening 
There's and then no Taylor way. Swift with her song that she wrote with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh gosh, but yes, <laughs> I'm like I'm like I'm like upset for Andrew Lloyd Webber that he had that he like was forced to stoop to that level. Like I mean, I just... hey, T Swift, I like T Swift. I enjoy her music, but like those are not two songwriters no, on the same caliber or level. No. I would be like, I'm offended for for <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber that he was essentially forced to write a new crap song for his crap character i mean like for andrew lloyd weber i'm sure he got bank off of this this thing he has made his millions off of one more time (laughs) but also at what cost weber at what cost Well, yeah. we're going to have plenty of more musicals this year, both adaptations of stage as well as remakes of film, West Side Story, directed by Steven Spielberg, set to release this year. Dear Evan Hansen, also, we got that trailer set to release. Oh. Lin-Manuel Miranda is making his directorial debut with Tick, Tick, Boom, starring Andrew Garfield, which is a musical. So... I don't know how I feel about Andrew Garfield in that role, but awesome. Boom is fun. Yeah, so particularly, I think Cats should have been animated, honestly. I think it would have worked so much better. We've talked about it. People are more willing to accept musicals in animated form. Disney yeah. figured this out early and has made bank ever since. It's been a consistent winner in yeah. their circle. Animated musicals kids latch on to these songs they're able to identify and then adults too i mean it's hard let it go we all make fun of it but it was the phenom it was for a reason because no one could get it out of their head also because they hired a broadway level amazing (laughs) singer to do this to do the song they 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 learn from their mistake of putting adina menzel in enchanted and not having her sing at all and then that's what they've been doing really well too at least in the disney ones uh the ali cravajo who played moana had a beautiful voice she's not a broadway star but she has a beautiful big voice they're hiring good singers to do this anika nani rose recently for princess and the frog all of them amazing singers and so it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see i guess how we do this moving forward and if the rest of this year's movie musicals are at least live up to what in the heights is yeah yeah surpassed the bar yeah, it's definitely like Chicago in the Heights are in almost a different league to pretty much all the rest of the films mm-hmm. we talked about today. Like, I mean, especially getting down to the cats of the world, our most recent yeah. abomination of a, yeah. a musical adaptation. We didn't even touch on uh, where the other ones we were going to talk. We were going to do Mamma Mia and which everyone loves. Todd. Yeah, everyone loves Mamma Mia. I love Sweeney Todd. I yes. think a lot of people love Sweeney yeah. Todd. Yeah, we mentioned Aspen. So Sweeney Todd, it was not a bad uh, movie musical. Uh, so Sweeney Todd is probably one of the last films that actually had Tim Burton's like good yeah. talent attached to it. Uh, he, before he started parodying himself. Yeah, it was yes. like true, authentic yes. Tim Burton rather yeah. than, you know, Miss Peregrine, mm-hmm. where he's trying to recapture Timber and I'm failing miserably. Yeah. And so the, and my only complaint about Sweeney Todd was, like I was saying, is that uh, yeah. Stephen Sondheim musicals have these amazing vocal melodies. 
And a big part of Sweeney Todd is the chorus in the back. Um, and they do these crazy things. Like there's one, one woman in the chorus who always hits this crazy high note that sounds like the whistle that is like repeatedly used in the, in the, um, music, in the song. It's like every time he murders someone, there's like this whistle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they don't do anything with the the chorus really at all in the movies. So they really just focused on like the main characters. And you know, Helena Bonham Carter is an amazing Mrs. Lovett. Um, it, it's it's a, it's a decent role yeah it's a, it it's, it's, it's a decent representation. It's fun. It's fine. It's, I think it's just fun because you get a horror musical in yeah. general, like this murderous horror musical. <laughs> Sweeney Todd is already like a weird. It's yeah. a weird show. Yeah, if you if you like weird, you'll like Stephen Sondheim musicals because they're always like strange, right? Like and I don't love Mamma Mia, but everybody else adores it. So so you have to just like have yes. enough joy yes, in your heart <laughs> that to just appreciate ABBA <sighs> as a as a thing. Uh, I, I like think ABBA. I have a lot of weird things about abba or sorry uh, mama mia i was another one that like the plot just was nonsense and the like yeah. uh the, it was it was fine uh yeah. i mean meryl streep was fine i loved christine baranski having an opportunity to Why be awesome um i don't know if him and menace secret is another one who's like oh she's not very good yeah people just love it and they love pierce brosnan who cannot sing to save his life either oh god especially he got a little bit better in the second one when they asked him to sing a little bit but whoo it's rough in that first one when (laughs) when pierce brosnan sings yeah but um these uh, no and that's the problem i think with disney remaking their movies right now so they're adaptations of their own films but they're really struggling to find singers to do this. And we talked about Emma Watson, but she's not the only one. Mm-hmm. They are not getting singers and they've set themselves up. These are iconic songs that do require big vocals in them. These women mm-hmm. are very talented who voiced the princesses and these characters from way back. And they're struggling to get actors who could adequately sing these big iconic songs and they're coming up short pretty much every time so Mm -hmm. mm. but then again disney's the only one who can seem to sell a musical to audiences otherwise they perform okay but audiences they don't come out like they did in the 40s for musicals any longer unless disney is there and then you know nostalgia kicks in and everybody our age is forcing their children into the theater to see it whether they want to or not because it's our childhood yeah I think I think just reaching back to that like Chicago thing I think what helped that kind of capture the zeitgeist of that particular time was that it it really felt very different from a musical like like a movie musicals that we were used to growing up with and it also just felt different as a film there was just a lot of things about it that made it feel unique and exciting in and of itself um whereas like a a lot of the musicals that are coming out now they're kind of they're not different they're not unique like lots of people loved Les Mis but like Les Mis didn't do anything that the stage version didn't do and it was and 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 had worse singers um and so yeah I think I think um if we want another Chicago somebody's got to bust forth with their kick-ass brand new interpretation of a piece of theater in a way that is innovative and takes advantage of the fact that it's film plus 
the fact that it's got yeah. amazing music and amazing singers. Like if you can put all those things together, honestly, you don't even necessarily put all those things together if the music is easy enough. Yeah, um, you, go. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to be Idina Menzel if the music is Chicago's music. So there yeah. you go. Exactly. <laughs> Well, this was it. This was our discussion on In the Heights and furthermore, the state of the modern day movie musical adaptations. Do you agree with us? Uh, What is your favorite from Chicago through present day? We definitely want to hear that. Please feel free to be upset about whichever ones we didn't mention at any point. We're still working out all this podcasty stuff. This is our first one. I do a YouTube page, but I've never done a podcast and getting this on to all the outlets. So make sure that you are following us at Cinema Snarks on YouTube and Instagram so that you can see where it's going to be posted and you'll have that direct direct link moving forward if things start to change as we start to learn the process and get it up on all the platforms you're supposed to as a good podcaster come along for the ride and learn with us <laughs> we're, we're trying figure out how to do a podcast <laughs> but if you do like to if you want to see our beautiful faces we'll also be posting up the video formats of each of our podcasts up on my youtube channel lc screen talk which will have a link somewhere in the description someplace again still working all that out um, and you can find me on twitter and instagram as well at lc screen talk ren where can everyone follow you personally on instagram is probably your best bet i'm off and on the facebook train mostly off and i am too old for twitter apparently i just don't understand it so uh you can follow me on twitter you're not going to get much out of it uh but uh i am ren manly on twitter and i am renny poo 13 on instagram Perfect. Well, follow us on all of these platforms and we look forward to getting snarky with you on our next show. Bye. Bye.